0: Hey, good evening, everybody. That was good, like, connecting music right there. Nice job, you guys. That was, I liked it. Right? Kind of get you pumped up and ready to roll. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Not really sure you're all that pumped up yet. Huh. With my picture? picture Oh, you saw my picture on Facebook of the water going under the bridge. Anybody been down to the river the last two days? No? Yeah, it's crazy. It's amazing. We could be washed away. We'll yeah. just stay on the shore and you'll be fine. All right, okay, we better pray because <laughs> nobody's with me yet. So I'm going to ask God to get us all together. Okay, so let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, thank you so much for being with us as well. Thank you that you love us like you do. You are a good God and generous and kind and full of mercy. So thank you for those things, Lord. You are a God that loves to communicate with us. You you created us to have a connection with you and you did not create us to keep distance and so thank you for that and I pray that as we share together tonight we would be able to uh, enjoy one another that we'd be able to enjoy you and that we would learn your heart as we spend some time together with you and in the scriptures tonight thank you for these things we love you Amen. amen all right what's the mission of the church (laughs) <laughs> All right, I know it was a little hard, you know, getting everybody together like a choir, and I'm not waving my arms and telling you how to do this, but, and I didn't even tell you it was Lakeside Church, I'm just like, church, you know, what's the mission of church? That threw some of you off, right? I know that, so, but the mission of, like, Lakeside Church is the mission of the whole church, right? What, so what's the mission of Lakeside Church? Is to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. Right, so if you've been here a little bit, you've heard that, right? How do we know that? How do we know that's the mission of the church? No, no, no. Oh, not because I told you. Yes, I tell you like almost every single week, but that's not how we know. How do we know? Because it's in the book, it's in the Bible. I'm, do you know this one? So there's this, there's this passage in, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is why we do baptisms at Lakeside. uh, Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's that's the deal. Now, every church says that a little bit differently. It's not like we're not taking liberties with the Scripture or anything like that. It's like that's how Jesus said it, and we put it into our context, and we go, look, it's about transforming as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. That's what we're about. But we're about that because the Bible says we should be about that. Do you know what God wants for you in your life? Oh, you don't. Um, anyone, anyone have any, like, guess at, like, what do you think God wants for you in this life or wants from you in, in this life? Yes. Die, die, to our flesh and follow him. die to our flesh and follow him. That sounds, like, painful. Okay, well, that's, that's true. How do you know that? Oh, because it's in the Word of God. It's in the Bible, right? How about this? Do you think God wants you to love anybody? Who? Everybody. Everybody. That's like a Sunday school. That's like a kid's fest. That's good. Like, let's be more specific. Who does God want you to love? Him. Him. Let's start with Him. I know there's all that neighbor and enemy stuff. We'll get to that. But let's start with Him. Doesn't God want you to love Him? Yeah. Yeah. How do you know that? It's in the Bible. You should love the Lord your God with all your... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you got all that, but that was heart, soul, mind, and strength. I made that up on the spur of the moment. I don't know how that happened. But, okay, so, no, not more, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Have your phone out. If you want to catch it up, you got to catch it the first time. <laughs> all right, so God wants you to love God, and you know that from the Bible. Who else does he want you to love? Neighbor. Your neighbor. Is that ever hard? Yes. Sure. Sometimes because they're also your enemy. That, that How, Does God want you to love your enemy? How do you know? It's in the Bible. See, here's the deal. You cannot be transformed as a passionate and productive follower of Jesus without the Bible. Okay, that's not exactly true because you could have other people who are followers of Jesus and they could speak into your life over and over and over about the things that they know are in the Bible. And maybe, like, maybe they're not getting it from the Bible. Maybe they're getting it from another follower of Jesus. Jesus could have just said to all of his disciples, hey, just keep passing this down verbally over the centuries, and and we'll just keep, you guys just keep following me. Would that have worked? No. Have you ever played telephone? That does not work, man. You can't get it around the circle and keep it the same. Imagine trying to do this with you know, a billion or two billion or whatever people over, the, over 2,000 years and try and make that work. That's not going to work. So God wrote it down for us in the Scripture. So if being transformed as a follower of Jesus is the goal, it's the mission, to be able to accomplish that mission, you have to have the Bible. Now, I, I, went, through, I went through, we're starting a series today for the next uh, four weekends, three weekends after this. We're starting a series called The Well-Crafted Life Scripture. And if you've been with us for a while, you know we're, we, we believe that those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are invited by him to live a well-crafted life. And we think there are five crafts that we live out uh, to, to make that transformation happen. So those five crafts are scripture and prayer and generosity, connection, and service. Five crafts. And we're taking about a month this year on each of these crafts. So today we're starting uh, about four weeks on, on the craft of scripture. So I was looking at my old Bibles. I got shelves full of old Bibles that I've used in my life. And I, I took a picture of it just to say, like, that's, those are the Bibles I've used in my life, different kinds of ones, ones I've worn out, you know, th- different things like that. Uh, this Bible, th- this is my preaching Bible. It, the only time I use this Bible is on Saturday night and Sunday morning. I don't even read the Bible in, in like, books anymore. I read, when I read the Bible at home on my own, I pull my iPad out or I pull my iPhone out, and that's where I read. And some of you guys never read on electronic devices, and some of you are like me, and you're like, you never read on paper anymore. But that's all my Bibles that I've worked with, used, different translations. That little green one on the top, that's my first Bible that someone gave to me when I was in elementary school. Still have it up in my office. Fascinating. Now, I grew up in a family that had a house full of Bibles. But there was a mystery about those Bibles. They were They were all black, which was, you know, I don't know, I guess in the the olden days. (laughs) I guess in the olden days, you could have the Bible in any color you wanted as long as you wanted black. I'm not really sure, but all the Bibles in my house were black. And they were were scattered around the house in strategic places on bookshelves and on top of nightstands and on top of uh, dresser drawers and things like that. And then there was this one period when my parents got really aspirational about this, and they bought a big white one, big. And they set it on the coffee table in the middle of the living room so everyone would know that we are Bible people, not like Bible readers, because that was the mystery. We had all these Bibles all around the house, but nobody ever seemed to read them. Nobody ever pulled them out. They were a little bit threatening. And some of you, you grew up with the Bible, and so you're like, you're not, you're not threatened by it because it's sort of familiar to you, but some of you didn't grow up with the Bible. And when you come to it, you've heard all these things. You've heard rumors about it and stuff. You're not really sure what to make of the Bible. Some of you went to colleges where your professors talked about the Bible and they said, Oh, you know, don't give the Bible much attention. It's full of myths. Or don't give the Bible much attention. It's full of contradictions. Or don't give the Bible much attention because all the major historic trauma over the last 3,000 years has been caused by people living out the Bible. And you end up out of those classes and you go, Man, I don't really know if I want to engage in the Bible or not. It sounds pretty harsh. And it doesn't sound necessarily true. And if, that, if you went to that kind of a school, you may have got that kind of input about the Bible. We believe here at Lakeside Church that without the Bible, transformation as a follower of Jesus is virtually impossible because you can't find enough followers of Jesus who know it well enough to speak it into your life to shape your heart. And if you can't find those people, enough of them that can actually speak it to you all the time, then you're going to have to have the book. So we believe the Bible is a key ingredient to the well-crafted life. It's a key, crucial craft of the well-crafted life. So I want to read a little bit of of it with you tonight. If you have your Bible, why don't you pull it out. This is the time. Pull it out and look at it. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the chairs. You can use that. You can use your smartphone. Good time to, to use that. We won't think you're texting or anything. You can, if you want, text somebody the Bible while we're doing this. You know, that would be great. Hey, this is what I'm learning tonight in church. I don't know. So you can pull that out and use the version Bible app if you want. I've got some notes in there for you, and maybe that will help you. Or if you choose, you can just listen as we talk together tonight about the Scriptures. We're going to spend some time talking about the Scriptures from the Scriptures. All right, so we're, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. And let's pick, up, let's pick up 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul writes, but as for you, Timothy, and then we get to get in on this. So let's say as for us as well. Okay. So, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you learned those verses, if you got those four verses, and especially just the last two verses down from that little passage, it would shape your view of the world. And that's part of my hope for you, that we would shape together, we would shape our view of the world based on those words. Now let's just think about a couple things that he says. Number one, he says, all scripture is God-breathed which means a beautiful word. It's, it comes from a Greek compound word. Remember compound words when you're going to school and you were learning all this cool kind of stuff? Compound words, just two words put together. So this word literally is God's spirit. God plus spirit, that's the word. But you go, okay, all scripture is God's spirit. That doesn't really make sense. Well, the word spirit is also the same exact word for wind and breath. And so the the translators of the New International Version they go, All scripture is God breathed. He breathed it. He inspired it. One translation says, All scripture is inspired by God. He breathed it. No wonder it's so inspiring. No wonder we're inspired when we come to stories of underdogs like David and when he runs up against Goliath and we're like, cheering for David, the underdog, and he wins and we clap and cheer, we're like, yeah. Or no wonder we root for a guy like Jacob who wrestled with God and God bent his hip out of place and Jacob limped the rest of his life and learned while he limped to lean on God. And that's a beautiful, inspiring story for me because I limp. Not physically yet, I'm not there yet, but. But emotionally, I limp. Spiritually, I limp. And I need to learn to lean on God in the midst of that, just like Jacob learned. We look at stories like Peter, loudmouth Peter, and actually he becomes a spokesperson for the Messiah. I'm like, if that could happen with Peter, that could happen to anybody. And that's amazing. And those, those kinds of stories inspire me. The themes of Scripture inspire us justice and mercy and grace and truth, those things inspire us. We hear things in the scripture like, go the extra mile and turn the other cheek and love your enemy. Amazing things that sometimes we go, I don't really want to do that, but they're inspiring to us. We are inspired by the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm and the parts of the Ten Commandments that we remember. Remember. or maybe all 10 of them, they inspire us. Why? Because God inspired scripture. God breathed scripture so that we would have it and it would inspire us. So if all scripture is God breathed or if all scripture is God inspired, then I, re- then I read the scripture like a love letter. I mean, what is it? If it's not a love letter, what is the scripture? If it's not a love letter from God to us, what is it? It's a love letter. I read it like that. When I was in high school, I worked at Del Taco. I was the burger flipper. Made, made hamburgers for a living. And uh, actually, I fell in love with the girl who made tacos. I married her. Yeah, we worked at Del Taco together, Donna and me. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so um, we spent a couple years there working at Del Taco and doing stuff. And so I... Uh, well, when I was in high school, I told, some, I told you this last week if you were with us, I talked about memorizing scripture and putting it into my heart. I got serious about that when I was in high school. And I'm like, I don't know how to memorize things. How am I going to learn to do this? And so I found some verses that I wanted to learn, and I took some index cards, and I wrote out the verse on the index card because I found out that I'm sort of a tactile learner. I, I learn better not just by seeing it, but by writing it down. And then I learn better by saying it out loud. So I, like, I see it, and I write it, and I say it. And then I hear it. There's a lot of gates that I learn through when I'm doing this. So I wrote down some scriptures on these cards. One night I'm working at Del Taco. We went through the rush hour, you know, where everybody wants a cheeseburger, you know, everybody wants a Double Del hamburger. And uh, so getting all that stuff done, we got through the rush of that, and I went back into the freezer area to get out some more hamburger patties to bring them out to be able to cook some more burgers. But I had a little break back there, and so I pulled out these cards out of my pocket, and I'm reading through the scriptures that I'm trying to learn. And my boss comes in. And he takes one look at me. And I thought I'm in trouble. He, he takes one look at me. He goes, what are you doing? Reading your love letters? I'm like, oh, I'm not in trouble. I'm like, then I thought, oh, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm reading my love letters from God. I'm reading these scriptures that I wrote down. These are things that God said in the Bible. And I wrote them down. And I want to learn them. They're love letters from God. I'm, I'm like, that's perfect. What if you looked at Scripture as if it were a love letter from God to you? My favorite book for interpreting the Bible, it's an old book. It was written in 1952, which was, you know, it was pretty new when I was actually going to school. It's an old book now, but it's still in print. I checked today. You can still get this book in print. It's by a man named Robert Trana, and the book is called Methodical Bible Study. It's like, you know, what are the methods for interpreting the scriptures? It was really, really helpful to me. Well, in this book that was published in 1952, he refers to an article uh, that was in you know, the, one of the national magazines or in the national papers or whatever back in that generation. And the, the article was an, advertise, or it was an advertisement for another book. So in his book, he's talking about this other book. The other book that they were advertising was a book called How to Read a Book. I'm like, okay, I, do you get that? I don't, why would you buy a book? about how to read a book when you don't know how to read a book. And that's just kind of a weird thing. But that was the book, and they they figured it was kind of a tough sell, so they better put advertisements in these magazines to get people to buy the book. So in these magazine advertisements, the advertisement was called How to Read a Love Letter. And so Robert Trena, in this book, he describes for, he puts this advertisement in his book, and he says, here's how to read a love letter. Listen To this. Now remember, this was this advertisement came out in nineteen forty. Language has changed a bit since then. But I think you'll get it. How to read a love letter. This young man, they showed a picture of him, this young man has just received his first love letter. He may have read it three or four times, but he's just beginning. To read it as accurately as he would like would require several dictionaries and a good deal of close work with a few experts of etymology and philology. However, he will do all right without them. He will ponder over the exact shade of meaning of every word, every comma. She has headed the letter, Dear John. What, he asks himself, is the exact significance of those words? Did she refrain from saying dearest because she was bashful? Would, would my dear have sounded too formal? Jeepers. Sorry, 1940, I, I, I didn't write this stuff. We, we should bring that word back. Never mind, I, I digress. Jeepers. Maybe she would have said dear so-and-so to anybody. A worried frown will now appear on his face, but it disappears as soon as he really gets to thinking about the first sentence. She certainly wouldn't have written that to just anybody. And so he works his way through the letter, one moment perched blissfully on a cloud, the next moment huddled miserably behind an eight ball. It has started a hundred questions in his mind. He could quote it by heart. In fact, he will to himself for weeks to come. What if you read the Bible like that? That change how you read it? Have you ever, have you ever received a love letter? How many of you have received a love letter? 20. Hmm. How many of you have written a love letter? 22. I don't, know what that, I don't know what that means. You know, for the rest of you who have never written one or received one, if you, ever rec- if, if you haven't received one, that's exactly what it's like. He will, he could quote it by heart. In fact, he will to himself for weeks to come. What if he did that with the Bible? All scripture is God-breathed, so I read it as a love letter. Now, he goes on from there, and he says, all Scripture is useful. Is this great? Here's the romantic side. All Scripture is God-inspired. And here's the practical side. All Scripture is useful. But you got to have that, right? I mean, in your life, if your life is all just romantic and there's nothing ever useful and practical, the dishes never get done. So what is this that God communicates to us? He communicates in an inspiring way, and then he communicates in a a really useful way. All Scripture is useful. Now, I used to doubt that. First time I ever came to Leviticus, I do not know what this is about. I think I read Leviticus in high school. I was going through the Bible in a year, which is a great program if you've never done that. I was going through the Bible in a year. Did great in Genesis. That was interesting. Exodus was interesting. The parting of the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments and all the things. That were, and then I got to Leviticus. I stopped. I mean, I didn't, I didn't make it through the Bible the first time I tried because uh, I got to Leviticus, man. I'm like, that is not useful. And it's not inspiring. And then I read it again. Because I went through another, t- another journey. I don't do this every year. This is not my only Bible reading plan. But several times in my life, I've gone through the Bible in a year. And sometime later in my adult life, I was probably in my 40s by the time this landed on me. But I started reading the Bible through in a year again. And I read Genesis. And I loved it. And I read uh, Exodus. And I loved it. And I read Leviticus. And I loved it. Because I finally found out that it was about the character of God. It was about the holiness of God and it was about the love of God and it was amazing. All scripture is God-breathed and all scripture is useful. Even if today you don't think a piece of it is. Now sometimes that's because not all scripture is equally useful to every person all the time. All Scripture is useful, but it's not equally useful to every person all the time. That wouldn't make sense. No piece of literature is useful to every single person all the time. So there are going to be some times in your life when you're reading through Paul's letter to the Romans, you're like, this is great, this is so helpful and so encouraging. And then there will be some other times you come to that and you just go, that didn't help me that much today. It's not equally useful to every person all the time, but it is always useful. And it is always useful to someone. And the whole of Scripture may be useful to you at some point in your life. And if it's not today, don't give up on it. Because you may come back to that next year and go, that part was amazing all of a sudden. Don't quit on it. Don't give up on it because all Scripture is useful. Now, he describes four different ways in which the Scripture is useful. He says it's useful primarily for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, let's just think about that. Teaching, it's it's a word that means to help someone find a path and walk on it. So the Bible is useful to you to teach you to find the path with Christ and walk on it. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuke. Now that's a weird that's a weird phrase. I don't have a lot of people that are friends that are not Christians who use that word. I rebuke you. You don't know no. Even Christ followers don't do that really a lot. But here's what the word means. It's not a freaky word. It's not a freak out kind of word. It's a word that just means to be able to tell somebody you're off track. The Bible is useful to teach you which track to be on, which path to be on, but it will also rebuke you when you're off the track. It will just tell you, hey, you're off track. Then for correction, correction is all about telling you to get back on the right track, helping you get back on the right track. And then Training in righteousness, that's like having a coach who runs the track with you. Keeps coaching, keeps coaching, keeps coaching. You can do it. Come on, let's go. Let's stay on the path. It's useful for all those things, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is useful. So I've learned to approach it as a library. Some of you, do you remember the first time you ever read the Bible and you started trying to read through it? And you're like, I don't get it. And it jumps around. It doesn't seem to have a particular order. And we're used to reading. If we read a novel, it's like it starts at the beginning and it goes to the end. And if it starts at the end and backtracks, they tell you that. And if it's one of those books that kind of bounces back and forth and you have flashbacks and things like that, you sort of know that. It's not a mystery. Like, I don't know what just happened. You know because it's in your it's in your language. It's in your culture. You get that. But the Bible, not, it's not like those all the time. And so you start reading it and you go, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's not orderly for me. That's probably because you tend to read it like a book rather than approach it as a library. See, every library has sections. There's a fiction section Then there's a nonfiction section. In the nonfiction section, there's science, and there's agriculture, and there's, and there's religion, and there's philosophy, and there's literature. There's all, all these different kinds of sections. In fact, I did, some research. I did some research this last week on probably the most exciting topic ever devised by a human being. I did, I did some research on the Dewey Decimal System. I know I'm a nerd. I never realized if I'm, a, I'm like a nerd. I loved it. I know it's weird, I'm going to be a librarian in my next life. No, I don't, probably, that would be weird if God made me a librarian in heaven. Anyway, so I always thought that the Dewey Decimal System was about, you know, where librarians put books on the shelf in the library, and I did not care. But I started doing some research, trying to understand how the, how the Bible works more like a library, and I'm in the, the Dewey Decimal System, and I realized it's not about where books go on the shelves hardly at all. It's about cataloging knowledge. Dewey was brilliant at cataloging knowledge. And that system that was developed about 150 years ago still works to catalog knowledge when our knowledge base doubles every five years or so. It's fascinating. Well, the Bible's like that. The Bible's a library. Now, there's there's sections in a library. There's sections in the Bible. Let me just give you a little bit of a handle to go, where where are the sections? When I go to the Bible and I want to find the sections and know where I am, what does that look like so here's the bible as a library the bible has an old testament section and a new testament section and they're not divided in half exactly the old testament's a lot bigger but there's two sections of our bible library in the old testament side there's four departments there's four sections in the old testament side now scholars will break these up in different ways but just as a real simple way to look at these this part of the library here it is four things there's the law that's the first five books of the bible where God gives the law through Moses and all the stuff that goes around that. And then the next section is history, and that's the, na- the history of the nation of Israel. And then the next section is the writings. Now, sometimes we'll call it the wisdom literature. Sometimes, we'll, you know, it's a lot of poetry. The Psalms are there. The Proverbs are there. But let's just call it the writings. And then the fourth section is prophets. And sometimes they're broken down into major prophets and minor prophets, which doesn't Tell you how important they are, just tells you how big the book is, right? So Isaiah is a big book, Malachi is a little book, major and minor. But they're prophets. Okay, there's there's half the library. Now, in the New Testament side, here's how the departments go. There's first the Gospels. That's the stories of the, of the life of Jesus. And that's followed by history, the history of the church in the book of Acts. And that's followed by the writings. We often call it the epistles. And that's followed by prophecy, also known as the book of Revelation. And you can see they almost match up exactly the same. They're just, they're just sections in the library of the Bible. Now, if you came to the Bible and you got to a certain part, you go, wait, what section is this in? Oh, it's in the writings in the New Testament section. Well, those are letters written by one person to another person or to a group of people called the church. Oh, I get that. Oh, that's what that's about. Oh, I'm in the history section in the Old Testament. Well, that's, that's the history of the nation of Israel, the people of God. And you walk through that library and you go, that's, that's, what the, that's what it is. It's a library. And it's designed to be useful to us for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we stay on the right path. Oh, and I love this. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's us, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Literally, the words that he used for thoroughly equipped are the Greek words adequately, adequate. That's that's aspirational talk right there. That's inspiring right there. What do you you want to be when you grow up? I want to be adequately adequate. Yeah, but but it is encouraging because God's not asking you to be Wonder Woman. God's not asking you to be a spiritual Superman. He's not looking for that. He just wants you to be adequately adequate for the good works that he's put into your life. And being filled with the scripture prepares you for that. You will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You will be absolutely adequate for everything God brings across your path where he says, I want you to do something good. Isn't that amazing? Now, how do you live this out? What do you do with this? We're going to spend three more weekends talking about these kinds of things, but let me just give you some stuff to work with today. Number one, when you're trying to apply what we're talking about, do what Paul said to Timothy, verse 14. Continue in what you have learned And become convinced of. Continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. So some of you, you grew up in a home where they had the Bible and they actually read it. You grew up in a home where they actually talked to you about the Bible. And that's a beautiful thing. And and now he's just saying, look, keep going. If you were with us last week, the analogy is don't fall off the bike. If you weren't with us last week, get the podcast. And don't fall off the bike. Now, some of you go, I I, I can't continue because I haven't gotten started yet. We'll get to that in a second. There's ways for you to move forward, to be on the right path with Christ through the Scriptures. But let's just stop for a minute on on continue. Continue of what you have learned and become convinced of. We find out in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy that, that Timothy came to faith in Christ because of the influence of his mother and his grandmother. Lois and Eunice, heroes in the Bible. He came to faith because of those women. They They spoke God's heart, God's word into his life, and he decided to follow Jesus. You know what that calls us to? You know what that calls us to? If you're a mother, train up your children. You know what it calls you to? If you're a grandmother, train up your grandchildren. And fathers don't escape. We don't think Timothy had a believing father, but if your children have a believing father, then dads, train them up in the scriptures. If your children have a believing, if your grandchildren have a believing grandfather, train them up in the scriptures. Mom's the most important thing you'll do in your life is to help your children understand the scriptures. Dad's the most important thing in your life is to help your children understand the scriptures. Grammy, most important thing you'll do in your life is raise up those grandchildren to understand the scriptures. Big Poppy, Most important thing you'll do in your life is to help your grandchildren grow up in the scriptures so that they can continue on in the things they've learned and become convinced of. Continue on. Don't stop. Don't get off the path. Don't fall off the bike. Now, if you haven't, if you haven't started so you can't really continue, let me just suggest something for you. You could begin by starting a Bible reading plan. Now, there are big plans, like read the Bible in a year. That's a big plan. That might be a little bit more to to bite off than you can chew in a year, maybe. And we'll come back to that in a second. But what if you just took like the next 21 days? They say it takes 21 days to create a habit. What if you just started a Bible reading program that lasted 21 days? I actually put one for you in the app this weekend. In the notes in U version, we put a Bible reading plan. It's going to take us through the Gospel of John. It's going to take us through the life of Jesus as told by the Apostle John. And I'm going to start. I'm going to start tomorrow, and uh, 21 days. And so through the course of this series, we can go through that scripture together. So you just got to go into U version, go to our notes from tonight, and you can you can download that Bible reading plan, and you can get started. We're also going to put it on our Facebook page tomorrow. And so you will be able to find it there and be able to click into that and follow the plan if that's what you want to do. Now, some of you go, I want to do more than that. I've already done that. I want to do something more. All right, then maybe you want to read through the Bible in a year. We have a group that what they do is they read through the Bible every year. They start in January with Genesis, and they go all the way through Christmas. They go through the book of Revelation, and then they start over again. Now here's the deal, you can come and join that anytime, you don't, you don't have to go, well I missed it, January 1st, I missed it. Here's the deal, if you want to go join them this next Wednesday night, they're already past Leviticus. <laughs> Whoa, that's fantastic, so you can start in numbers and then kind of go around all the way through the year, and January you wrap around, get Genesis and Exodus, and now you got a year of the Bible under your belt, by the time you get to Leviticus, you're going to go, this is fantastic. And they meet on Wednesday nights. And you can check the website for the time and, you know, which room number and all those kinds of things. And then last of all, nothing has shaped my spiritual journey like memorizing Scripture. I've told you that before. Nothing has shaped my life as a follower of Jesus like memorizing Scripture. And I thought, you know, what if we just took some time as a church and we just, and we just memorize some of it together? Because some of you go, I can't memorize the Bible. I'm, it's, I'm, it's hard. I don't know how to do it. And you're asking, how do I do it? We're going to do it together. In the chair right in front of you, there, there is an index card like this. You see it? It's in the pocket right next to the connect cards and the offering envelopes. Those kinds of, you see. Pull that out. If you're in the front row, reach behind you. There's some right behind you there. Pull it out. One for everybody. And then pull out a pen and here's, here's how I started. When I was starting in high school, here's how I started memorizing the scripture. I would take out an index card just like this, my little love letters from God, and I would write the scripture down. So we're going to put the scripture up here for you. We're going to memorize the scripture that we're talking about tonight. I put it in white and whatever the other color is. I put it in those two colors because here's what I do. I write it down. You can start writing. I write it down, and I write it down in sections because when I say it, I want to learn it in sections, and I'll show you how to do that in just a second. So write it down. I'm going to write it with you so I'll know when you're done. And let's let's learn this. So all Scripture. How's it going? Good. Mine's sloppy. All right, still writing? All right, 30 seconds. Oh, sorry. Now, some of you, you've told me before, it's like, oh, it's so hard for me to memorize. I can't really memorize. I'm going to help you figure out how to do this. In the next three weeks, we're going to have this memorized, two verses of the Bible. We'll have it mostly memorized by tonight. Now, you'll have to review it. Because that's part, big part of memorizing is reviewing and reviewing and reviewing. But we're gonna do this together, okay? Uh, most of you have most of it down now, I think. So, so I, I write it down. I put it in sections so I can learn it section by section, and then I say it out loud. So let's just say the first line, the, the first white line together. Let's just say that together. Ready? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All right, one more time. That wasn't with, that wasn't with, like, conviction. Let's, let's do it again. Oh, I've fallen off here. Uh, all right. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Close your eyes. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Look at that, how good you are. All right, now, we're going to put the next section after that. So, I, I also, when I'm memorizing things, I I count a lot. If there's a list, I count. If there's a, a long list, I find a memory device to use. So in this one, it's only four words, so I'm gonna, just, just going to count them out. One, two, three, four. So it's, all scriptures God breathed in is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Just four things. So here we go. Uh, four, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All right, now you have two phrases. Let's put them together. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's a whole verse. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. Nice. Polite applause. Okay. Now, the next part of it, this is verse 17, goes like this. So that the servant of God. That's you. So now, get some ownership, right? So that the servant of God. Let's say that. So that the servant of God. Again, so that the servant of God, so something's happening, so that the servant of God, what? Last phrase, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May be adequately adequate. Oh no, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's say that one. May be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now let's put those last ones together. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now you've got four different phrases of these two verses. Let's mash them all up together and say it together. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Yay! Now, keep that in your purse or your wallet or on your dashboard or on your refrigerator, whichever thing you see most often. And say it every time you see it. And next weekend, we're going to practice together. Deal? Yeah. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thanks for your grace to us. You're good all the time. And one of your ways of demonstrating your goodness is by giving us your book. And Lord, we believe it is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that we, your people, your servants, God, that we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, thank you for that. Bless us as we learn this. Bless us as we put it into our heart. And may we honor you with our lives as they are shaped by your scripture. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.